Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, Aaron Noonan here, V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco for another week. I'm not the only one in the studio this time around. It is your questions, our answers. I can't do it on my own. My trusted good friend, Will Dale, is in the studio. Hello, fine sir. Hello, it's nice to see you. Uh, great to have you here as we embark on another Q&A podcast. Now, we haven't done one of these for a little while. We've had plenty of Bathurst content. We've had Larco. We've had Lounsey. We've had some of our biggest ever podcasts in the last month or two. So no pressure here following in the <laughs> wheel tracks of these guys. Well, shall we just get straight into the questions then with a question from Shane Jenkins from Facebook? Well, it's like you scripted it. Sure, let's do it. (laughs) Shane asks, actually, first he wants to say what a great job we've done with the podcast. Absolutely loving it. Well, that gets you pole position on episode 247 in Q&A, Shane, for sure. Really does. Now, Shane's question is about the 2008 Bathurst 1000 where DJR had their main drivers paired in car 18 rather than 17. And the Tasman Motorsport cars, Murph wasn't in his usual 51. He was with Jason Richards in the number three. Was this decided by which car was higher in the championship or some other reason? Now, we're winding back the clock here. 2008, Shane, is a whole 14 years ago. God, is it? It's another lifetime ago. (laughs) Um, uh, My memory tells me that the reasoning for this was because that was the chassis that those teams opted to use. So... Car 18 was car 18. It was Will Davison's car. Stephen Johnson was co-driving Will's car with him because this was the second last year where you could run main game drivers paired together. Mm. So that was Will's car, whereas previously it was Stephen's car the year before. So I think because obviously Will was higher in the championship, it was Will's car, Will's engineer, they sat with 18. So 17 was Stephen Johnson's chassis. That was driven that year by Steve Owen and Warren Luff. So same scenario at Tasman. The three car that Murph and JR drove was JR's car, hence why it stayed as three and Dale Wood and Mark Noski drove 51. So that's the simple basis where they just stayed with what the number of the car was rather than re-labeling them. Because I think the other thing too is the tyre uh, batches the tire and the tire banks at the time too. were allocated to the franchise car number rather than the driver. So... I reckon that would have come into play, but it was more so the fact that they drove the 18 car that had been 18 all year and the number three car that had been car three uh, throughout the course of that year. That's the reason why. And I miss those days of pairing the full-timers. <laughs> I know we've had this chat in the office before. We have. I know we've there's plenty the of fans. We've had well. it on the pod before too. Um, yeah, those were the days. That was cool. That's when everything felt a bit different at Bathurst. Although the great thing is a lot of teams do retro liveries or tweak up their liveries or have some number changes or do stuff as well. So it's not like all 25-plus cars are exactly the same as every other round in the year. So I'll I'll give – I'll grant that, but I'm not conceding my point. That's quite the concession. Well done. Yeah, yeah, it's it's bugger all really, isn't it? It's about (laughs) a 1-percenter. This one's come from Too Many on Twitter. Too many beers, maybe? Too many questions? Not sure. Who owns the footage of Wing Cup's opening 2014 Bathurst stint? I was thinking about it the other day and assumed it would be owned by Supercars as part of the Super Archive. 
Would it be possible to get it uploaded? He's got a bonus question, but we'll can you answer the first yes, bit yeah. first? Um, 100% spot on. It is owned by Supercars because all of Supercars broadcasts from 2007 was produced yeah. in-house by Supercar- what's now known as Supercars Media. Uh, so they have all that footage and having worked at Fox in a previous life, having watched some of that footage, it was fantastic. Now, one you, mean I, the, you mean the in-car? The in-car. But the interesting thing is, so for that, remember he started off the back that mm, day because mm. um, of his shunt in qualifying. That weekend they had a mirror camera in the 14 or it was on the guard or it was on the door. There was a camera that was... On the wind cup car. Yeah, on the uh, wind cup car. That rings a bell. Yeah. No, it was on the door. Oh, on the door. Right, right yeah. side door because I remember the replay of him launching off the grid and just <laughs> passing cars. That's it. And I've seen that angle. Exactly, that's all yeah. And yeah. so so definitely the footage of that for most of, if not the entire full first lap, um, is in their archives and um, that as to whether that could be uploaded, that is most definitely a question for them. That they would, would be, be good. That would be a great bit of YouTube, couple of minutes of content. That would be right up their alleyway of check this out, one of the wildest first laps in... Bathurst where, I don't know, how many cars did he pass? It was a lot. <laughs> yeah. He was leading by the end of the stint. Yeah, true. Jeez, that was nuts. That was nuts. Uh, the follow-up bonus question, he's kind of crammed two in one here, but he's done it sneakily too many on Twitter, so we'll we'll pay this and we'll grant it. What's your proudest moment in your career? I presume this is motorsport career. Well, yeah. Um, there's a few to choose from. Like there's a few, there's a few of the books that we've produced now that I look at look at those and think well that's that's quite good that's gone very well and i look at those on the bookshelf at home and think they're quite they're yeah i'm very happy and proud to have been able to to execute those and put those together the djr cars book growing up as a dick johnson racing fan as a kid um the perkins book working with jack perkins as well and sort of getting to know him and the passion that he has and the inf- the the sleuthing skills that he brought to that project was a lot of fun which are many and varied they and are, large yeah they are um the upcoming jim richards book as well um that's like i'm looking forward to everyone getting to read that very not soon far away it's not, not far away the update we've had from the printers is that in about three or four weeks that's going to land in the country um, and for those who've ordered a signed version. Obviously, we need a little bit of time for Jim to sign them. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, they'll be heading straight out through our um, our warehouse. So not far away. No. If you haven't ordered a Jim Richards book, get on it. It's going to be a rip. It's 400 pages. I know we're getting a bit pluggy here, but it's a cool book. Um, we're thrilled with it. Jim's thrilled with it, and you'll be thrilled with it too if you have it under your Christmas tree on either side of the Tasman because, of course, JR, rather large in NZ as well as in Australia. And he did a lot over there. Oh, heaps, heaps. Yeah, so much. Yeah, superstore.vhsleuth.com.au is the website. I'm sure we'll put that website address in the show notes of both this app and other apps over the journey to make sure that you can get to it. But um, apart from books, what else would you reckon it be? Uh, probably landing the job at Fox Sports back in the day, which um, so I started um, prior to being involved in motorsport. I was a I, I did a journalism degree at university expressly to get involved in motorsport, but like coming from Townsville, went a whole heap of options. So I managed to get a job as a radio news reader. Can you um, put on your radio news reader voice? Not anymore. I've tried. <laughs> I've tried in recent years. Just yeah, with, and without a script, it's hard as well. All right, you won't. I wasn't. Uh, no, uh, I, I'm good. I'm good. I actually probably have a few left over on a computer somewhere. Um, and we'd, my wife and I had planned on moving to Sydney for work and she actually 
saw the job ad for a motorsport journalist at Fox Sports. So it's her fault, not yours. You didn't even see the ad. Yeah, Um, Applied for that and thought I absolutely blew the interview and um, they called me back for a second one and turned out I ended up getting it. Why did you think um, you, you blew it? I hadn't done one before. I hadn't oh, done a job, like a job interview, interview at all. At all, because oh. the radio, the radio gig had come through uni. Because yeah. the the lady that ran um, ran that newsroom uh, taught one of the classes, so that sort of evolved from there. So that was actually the first, the job for Fox was the first job interview I'd ever done. And um, yeah, one from one, one from, yes, one from one. <laughs> That's yeah. a win. Yeah. That's a win. So well, what about, played. yeah, thank you. So um, what about your good self? What's your proudest uh, moment? I thought you might ask me this. I was trying to move on to the next question, but. He asked us both. He did, yeah, true. Um, that's very true because it says careers, so yes. it means both of us. Um, proud is sort of a different uh, – there's things that you look back on and you go, oh, that was cool to do, but am mm. I proud of it? I guess so. Um, hosting the Bathurst 1000 Podiums, pretty cool. It's pretty good. Um, Not too many people get to do that. No, no, it's a pretty – I haven't got the list of people, but I'm sure it's a, a, a relatively short one. Um and it wasn't even supposed to happen, which I think I've talked about on this mm. pod before over the journey, uh, but it was all a bit last minute and, you know, those things happen. Um, proudest, I think probably the proudest moment is an ongoing one that I can walk the pit lane of the supercars round and I have the respect, I think, of most people or that I can stop and talk to pretty much anyone. Um, and that's come over 25 years, basically. Mm. So... Lasting 25 years in this pit lane, in this paddock and in this scene. It's not easy. Uh, I'd probably say that. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a bit generalised and a bit overall, but, you know, there's some stuff over the TV journey that is cool to look back on and do. Probably actually if I – now that I dig a bit and, and I didn't really stop and think about this because I was planning on asking you and moving on, <laughs> uh, Shannon's Legends of Motorsport is yeah. probably one of the proudest bodies of work, I guess you'd say, because it was a – I still get asked about it, actually. And we haven't, you know, it was seven years ago that we did the last one. Could we do another one? Yeah, I'd love to do another one. But it was basically Neil Crompton, Nathan Prendergast and I, mm. with the help of a, a bunch of other people, but we were the core three. You know, I sat there <laughs> I sat there at Channel 7 in Docklands till midnight, 2 a.m. going through tapes, all sorts of stuff. Like We worked really hard on that, but... Uh, the benefit was that we got to do, you know, I'm sitting. we're sitting in this little plane flying back from Bathurst to Sydney with Moffat, Grice, Bond, telling stories and listening to all this stuff. I mean, it's money can't buy type of stuff. Yeah. It was, I think it was the stuff away from what happened on camera that was even, and the stuff that was on <laughs> camera was great, but it was the other stuff that went with it. And, of course, like that's seven years ago. So Alan Moffat's in a very different place now. He couldn't, he can't do that sort of stuff anymore. Mm. Grice's 80 um, this year. Yeah. So, um, in fact, he's just turned 80 recently. So, you know, time catches up and, you know, guys can't travel as much or they're, you know, have health issues and yeah. everyone just gets old. That's life. So um, I'd say that's a pretty proud body of work and I know that, that Neil would, would say the same too. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I have actually thought of another one just oh, to, go on. just to take on while we're at it. Um, while I was at Fox, uh, I was largely responsible for all the radio days clips that we did. Um, this is your fault. Team radio. Yeah, it's, this is your well, fault. Te- well, technically, I, I'd blame Dave Reynolds. <laughs> what, because he gave so much good content? So it was um, 2015 Winton when um, he was in that fierce battle with Garth Tander and Scott Pye where he said a few 
heated things over the radio that like what nasty um i'm gonna after the race i'm gonna grab a chain and flog that bloke was um was the headline one that i remember and we put we put together a video after that and after um and it did all right um digitally and we after seeing like nascar radioactive and Mm -hmm. all the formula one um race review clips content here there's a river here exactly and we'd, we'd gone to the trouble of getting access to all the radio streams at Fox for our our digital race center which was another which is another story but that was a fantastic product that never quite um, never quite took off um, we I just pitched it up to the EP one day and yeah off we went and that was good fun for um two and a half three years of doing it working with um, AJ Hawkins who now produces this podcast for Absolutely us as well. Can't get away from it. Um, Nick McEwen, the editor at Fox and James Harrison, Michael Strano and like learning a lot of stuff from all of them and by the I think start of 2018 actually just fully editing them and sourcing everything and putting them together on my own was yeah, like I look back on I look back on a couple of those those still probably the Newcastle 2017 one and the one of Bathurst 2016 that was all about Wind Cup and Dumbrell, th- those those pieces I'm quite proud of. Yeah. Um, although there are definitely things I would change in them now. Oh, well that's, that's, but that's, that's what standard. it is, yeah. Got very good at using the bleeper button, I'm guessing, throughout <laughs> the course of doing all those discoveries. Oh, yes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, Declan Lynch from Facebook, if you could decide an exhibition at the National Motor Racing Museum, our good friends at, mm. uh, don't go Tuesdays, close Tuesdays, mm. uh, the amount of people who said to me at the Bathurst 1000 about, oh, don't go Tuesdays, I'm like, wow, they listen <laughs> to the pod, the ads work. Uh, but you could go Tuesday at the Bathurst you, you 1000. Can. The doors just don't open, nothing happens. Yeah. Um, if you could decide an exhibition there, what would it be? Ooh. Um, and you can't pick something that's already been done. Ooh, okay. So... What I would like to see would, and there's already a couple of cars there, uh, would be a NASCAR Oscar exhibition. Oh, yes. Yes. And there's more than a few of those cars still in the country in various, um, in various states that could, um, could easily form an exhibition. In fact, there were a bunch of them out at the Thunderdome recently. Yeah, I saw that. There was a, a track day mm. at the Thunderdome and a bunch of guys with, um, old Oscars were, were part of it along with road cars. And, yeah. Um, uh, everyone just being able to turn up and have a drive around. But the the museum has the George Elliott 55 car. That's been mm. up there for a while. And in more recent times, the Kim Jane re-repcoed car that Zach O'Hara owns and drives in uh, the stock car series, that's been up there as part of the 100th anniversary of Repco. So four-time championship winning car, runner-up at Bathurst in 98 to Russell Ingle with Kim driving. Cool car, been put back to its Repco livery that it ran in 2000 at the Grand Prix at Albert Park and at Barbagallo. No, yeah, it was Barbagallo yeah, back then, Wanneroo now or whatever they've called it, some sponsor name that none of us will remember or, or use. It's Wanneroo. We'll, we'll know about it next year. Yeah, we'll, we'll be will. using it next yeah, year. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I think that's a winner. Plenty of Oscars around, plenty of mm. stuff to be dug out, plenty of NASCARs. It's a cool era. And, you know, our, our listeners have always jumped on board with anything Thunderdome that we've done over the journey. So, yeah, I reckon that would be a winner. But – 
I, and not just because of the book, but I reckon a Jim Richards exhibition. Oh, yes. Because yeah. you know what? He could pretty much fill it himself. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. The he's hard got part his, would be getting all the trophies off the wall from his uh, workshop. Well, he's got all the bloody trophies. Yeah. Um, Although over the journey, and I think this is covered in the book by Carl Batts and his Porsche mechanic, <laughs> yes. that uh, one day they were washing parts uh, when they prepped the Porsches at Jim's place back in the day some years ago and um, accidentally the, the parts bucket dropped on the ground and Carl picked it up and realised it was the 1985 Sandown 500 trophy bottle. <laughs> <laughs> that just goes uh, to show what, you know, Jim's just no fuss. Yeah. Uh, but TCM Falcon and Javelin, he's yep. got them. He's got a Skyline GDSR, HR31, yep. a BMW M3. Yep. So what's that? Four. That's four. Uh, what else has he got? Um, he doesn't have a 635 anymore. He did at some points. No, but there is one around. But there's one around. The one around. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's heaps of stuff around. Oh, well, there's already um, there's, or, there's already yeah, there's a chunk of cars for your exhibition. Yeah. I mean, how much room have you got to be able to yeah. fill it? But I reckon a Jim Richards exhibition, that would be, yeah. So many of his cars have survived as well, which amazed me when I was going through the process of researching this book. Mm. And not just the ones that he's raced here. Of course, the Falcon Sports sedan is yep. still in the process of a long restoration. Very long one, but it's around. But, yeah, that car is around. The Sid Chrome Mustang has been fully restored to its original it's glory in New, New Zealand. Zealand. Yeah. Um, the Morris Marina that he rallied back in the day <laughs> on um, the Heatway Rally, which eventually became Rally New Zealand, um, which he very proudly says that he won a cl- won a stage in the only person to have won a stage in a Morris Marina in the world um, that survived that's still around and has been restored and, and is and the Hillman Imp yes. that he raced yeah, as well yeah, yeah. Uh, and then in New Zealand at Pukekohe this year remember obviously they had the heritage touring cars one of the Volvo S forties is in mm. New Zealand the car he drove in the ninety eight. Um, Championship, the right-hand drive car. It's not the Bathurst winning car. It's the car that he. It's a '97 spec car that he yes. drove in the championship. That's in New Zealand. Um, and then, of course, you've got like a bunch of his Porsches here in Australia that are oh, around. Yes. One of his ex Nations Cup Carrera Cup cars being put back in livery. There's heaps of stuff you could fill. Seriously, you could fill the museum with Jim Richards' cars mm. from over the journey. Whether it's touring cars, proddy cars, Porsche. I mean, lots of Porsches. Yeah. Huge amount, so and that, he's told it, my vote. And he's told us he has most of his suits or many of his suits yeah. as well, so, yeah. 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 Oh, he, he's a one-stop memorabilia <laughs> shop. He, he, he's, he's one single exhibition, that's for yeah. sure. No, that's that's cool. I like it. Andrew Rollison on Facebook, if Mustang and ZB Commodores are purely bespoke bits of kit, can teams build new ones for Super 2 and 3 so that the people who want to collect the superstar cars don't exhaust the pool of cars for that series for next year? Short answer, no. They can't build new cars. The point, yes. the point of that series is to be a place where you spill and pass on down the line the cars from the main series. So um, we have seen on very odd occasions where permission's been granted to build a new car uh, in the development series over the over the years, but certainly not in this scenario here. Because, for example, I mean, Triple Eight have struggled to come up with a car for next year because yes. theirs are all allocated. Um, they've probably got the stuff in their building that they could build another car or two, but they're not allowed to because the point of that series is to be the place where you sell on your gear and if you allow teams to build just new cars fresh for that series, then it's undermining the very point. I understand that people would say but there's a, a lack of cars around because collectors have snapped up so many of the current cars even before they've finished racing, but reality is um, that's not uh, going to be changed to allow 
brand new is to be built. So it's uh, what's there is what's there. And if someone snaps it up and parks it up and doesn't want to lease it out or let anyone use it, that's life. Alas, it is. Chris Williams from Facebook. What needs to be done to allow the Super 2 and Super 3 races to actually have more racing laps and less safety car interruptions? Harsher penalties applied by the DSO, for example. Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because they've had a, a really bad year mm. for green flag running, for full race completion. I think I've read a stat somewhere that 30% of the laps have been under yellow flag this year or something along those lines. Yeah. I, I haven't looked it up myself to exactly be across it. A reasonable chunk out of it at Bathurst. Yeah. Oh, well, Bathurst was, you know, you could just about write that one off yeah. out of the, the whole list. But would harsher penalties being applied change some of the things i don't think so no i, I think that's targeting the wrong the wrong cause for how yeah, these races are getting cut still, short you've still got to play the rule book as it sits i don't think you can go dialing up penalties sometimes stuff happens and it's a racing incident so yeah there's no penalties there to be applied anyway but i'm interested to see next year because i think that with what is currently Super 3, those cars, the older cars, go back to V8 touring cars. They are eligible for Super 3, but I think a lot of people will end up just running the, the V8 touring car series run by ARG. Um, so I think you're probably going to get a smaller field overall. Mm. So maybe that helps a little bit. Um, you're going to have some drivers in there that have got more experience. We've had a lot of wet races over the journey. That always causes a bit of drama. Um I, I th- it's really hard to put one – it's a little bit of everything that adds up to why that year, this year has been so rough for, for Super 2 in terms of the, the laps and safety cars. And it's, I mean, there has been some ordinary driving. That's mm. got to be said. But there's been ordinary driving in that series at different occasions over the journey anyway. So yeah. I, I personally feel – and if I was a Super 2 driver bringing funds or a team that's running cars – I'd really be looking to ask supercars to find a way to give them a standalone event somewhere where they're the main show, they're in the garages, they get the run of the green of time certainty. It's other other races around them that get cut if they're the main. Like the old days when we did have standalone rounds for development series, one a year it may be a track that misses out on a main. If Winton doesn't get a main game round, Next year, and we're recording this a little bit ahead of when we're releasing it, so if the calendar's been released, then (laughs) you can scrub this. But, I mean, that's what happened with the development series when it first began. Malala lost its main round because Mm. the Adelaide 500 came. Malala got a Konica round. Lakeside dropped off the calendar, got a Konica round. Same scenario here. If there's a track or two that disappear off the main game, I think there's real chat that should be had to have a look at doing a standalone round. So that way... When they're spending their money, they know that they're the main game in town. For that weekend, they're going to get the priority for their laps and their races to be completed. Mix it, like, give us something different. Give them something more. They're customers of supercars, the business. So, I mean, that would give them a greater opportunity to be in the in the spotlight for a weekend and not have the possibility as strong of getting their races chopped. I guess the flip side of that is whether the deals that uh, drivers and teams have done with sponsors are contingent on being within the supercars paddock or, or being uh, within the live supercars broadcast, whether a standalone round would be able to receive live TV coverage and whether that would draw the same amount of eyeballs or not. They're all questions that would well, be asked. I think asked. they should look at it. I mean, mm. rather than hemming our fence in of our brain to go, oh, no, it can't be done, 
Let's talk about it. Like, if all the competitors turn around and say, oh, well, no, nah, I want to be at main game rounds, okay, so don't bleat and moan about the possibilities of races being cut because that's... You are the second that's, tier. You've got the benefit of being on the big stage, but that's the risk that you run by being there. So I'm mm. just saying, I'm not yeah. saying to jump away from it fully. I'm saying maybe one round a year they can have a marquee round for Super 2, whether it's at Winton or the Bend or somewhere that dips out on a main game round. It's not, not worth having a double up track. Oh, for sure. Somewhere over the scenario. But QR, if that's not on the main game calendar, that might point. be one to, to consider. So anyway, uh, always something to, to ponder here in our world. Um, Twitter's been full of questions recently. Uh, C-Tips, um, I don't know if C-Tips is a, a rapper or just couldn't be bothered writing it their whole name. But anyway, love the pod. That always helps to get your question in. Which era has seen the greatest year-on-year improvement of the fastest lap times at Bathurst? They were looking the other day, saw back in the 60s that the fastest laps were in the three-minute, ten-second bracket. Um, not recently no. is is the answer that comes to my brain, but you've got the numbers that are, that yeah. are true and correct. Not, not recently as long as you exclude um, years where there were wet races or wet qualifying yeah, sessions and right. followed by a dry one, yep. which forces you to um, recalculate the Excel spreadsheet that you've meticulously put together. Uh, the answer for this one is actually 1970 to 1971 was the biggest jump in both uh, qualifying pole time and the fastest lap of the race. Um, Alan Moffat undercut his original pole time, his 1970 pole time by 10.4 seconds. <laughs> And in the race, Bob Morris beat John Goss's fastest lap from the previous year by 13 seconds wow. and undercut the lap record, which had been set the previous year by both Moffat and Fred Gibson, by 12.1 seconds. <laughs> now, part of that was a jump in tyres and the next evolution of the GTHO Falcon, but the circuit had also been substantially resurfaced between the two years as well, so that all played part in a um, ridiculously large drop in times. Wow. That's not happening any time. It is not, no. Wow, that's huge. It is. Rod Binding on Facebook asks, Moffat's Sonova CB Falcon became Alan Heath's EL Falcon. That was all but destroyed in the Forest Elbow crash in the 1998 Great Race. Where's that car now and what EL did Heath run in 1999? I do remember this vividly. Uh, So the Moffat Sonova Falcon lives on with a collector in Perth. Very recently, it had um, a carburetted engine returned to it because for many years it didn't have the Mm. um, carby engine in it. Uh, Later on, because, of course, Alan Heath ran it, crashed, repaired, I mean, whole new front put on it. Ross Halliday raced it again in the development series when it first started uh, in Konica V8 Lights. So, um, yeah, so it's back in its Synovus. I think it's 94 Bathurst. 94 Bathurst livery. Yeah, Andrew Medici, Jeff Allen, um, Car 9. Um, it's so much love for that car. The Synovus Falcon is so... It's a good-looking rig. It, uh, it was good-looking. Black and fluoro the, yellow. The livery was stood combo. out. The noise of the carby engine just was distinct. You know, it, it ran once a year. It didn't win anything, but it is the last of the line of the Alan Moffat Racing Falcons as well. So mm. it's just one of those cars that really sticks in people's brains from over the journey. Yeah, but it's been in Perth with it. Um, Andy Brown, collector, who's had it for... For many years now as part of, of his collection. Um, so that's where it is. Um, that's a private collection, by the way. So it's not just open willy-nilly to, to head in there. But we did a few years ago do a V8 Sleuth Open Night um, 
with Andy's collection. And it's not just cars. It's memorabilia, suits, helmets. He's got some amazing stuff over uh, in WA. Yeah, I think our um, Castrol Motorsport News podcast host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, got he did. to have a quick look through there a couple I of weeks ago. I think his jaw is still on the ground, Will, <laughs> yes. at how much stuff was uh, was in the Batcave. But uh, So that car's there, and Alan Heath ended up the next year with an EL, um, which was actually one of the Longhurst Racing cars that was the Alan Jones Komatsu car. So that was new in 1998. So it ran as part of the two-car Longhurst team for the rest of that year, Tony in the Castrol car, AJ in the Komatsu car, and that became the, the Alan Heath car for, for the next year. And that car has since been restored. It spent some time back to its 98 Komatsu yeah, livery right. and spent some time in yep. the National Motor Racing Museum yep. and is still out and about now. Yep, exactly. Uh, Matthew Davis on Facebook, if the Sleuth team could bring back one lost permanent circuit, which one would it be? And an extension of this, which existing circuit that previously hosted the championship races would the Sleuth revive? Hmm. I'm not one for sort of hypotheticals so much, mm. but if, if it's gone and it's gone and we can't bring it back, I don't see – I can't think of one that then – but the second part of the question gets me though. Which existing circuit that you could bring back? What would you go with? Calder. Yep. That would it would never it. happen. No. Uh, Calder could be reborn with some funding as a good club level – maybe state series type venue for testing, track days, Vic State Series, mm. festival type stuff. I reckon that's that's doable. Not to host supercars or that sort of level, but, um, yeah, I think that would be – I mean, not many racetracks around in Melbourne, mate. So No, this is very true. If, um, if decreasing by the year, yeah, if you if, allegedly. Yeah, exactly right. So, yeah, that's probably the one that springs to mind. You can't do Surface Paradise. You can't do Amaru Park. You can't do Oran Park. Um, Canberra Street Race? No, you could. It's doable. The roads are there. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, oh, if you could bring a permanent circuit back, I would love to see Amaru back, but brought back in like a Goodwood revival style format because I think that circuit's probably very suited to that sort of, that sort of thing. Of course, it regularly hosted a very popular historic meeting every year. Uh, in terms of an existing circuit that I would love to see come back on the calendar, even though the cars have m- very much outgrown it, I would love to see Lakeside. I knew you'd say that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Not going to happen. Oh, no. No. There's no <laughs> way was, that's going to happen. I think I've said this before. I went for a ride with Ambrose there in the Xbox car when that whole deal was first unveiled. I've been for luckily enough for rides in a bunch of supercars on some good tracks over the years. Mm. I shit myself. I mean, like, I could not help but look at those guardrails and wonder, oh, I don't want to go and experience one of those. It was – I've never been scared in a race car in those situations in the hands of very Competent talented professionals, professional yeah. racing drivers. But that one, even with Marcus Ambrose at the wheel, and I knew he wasn't going 10 tenths, but it felt like at least eight, I just could not help but think, oh, my God, this place is wild, like yeah. really wild. I, I reckon I would have been more comfortable doing a hot lap at Bathurst, and I've never done that, <laughs> but and I reckon I'd be freaking out because it's such an amazing track, but Lakeside definitely got my attention. Well, there are no slow parts to Lakeside either, really. No, well. Not in a supercar. Not unless you hit the pit lane. Um, yes, yeah, true. Stop, that's probably as slow as it gets. Yes. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products, 
to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. David Cowley on Facebook. Hey, Noons and the gang, love your podcast. Oh, that's you, a good David. way to get in. Yeah, nice. With I think people are figuring out this. <laughs> Say yes. a nice thing, love the pod, you blokes are great. Bang, question gets in. So, so you're not suggesting they just genuinely love the podcast of and want to pass it do. on? Of yeah. course they do. The sleuthers <laughs> are on board, Will. Uh, David asks, with a lot of young talent coming out of the Bathurst weekend on such a high note, I'd like to know what the history is behind Kai Allen's current Super 3 VE Commodore. I'd like to know where his tyre ended up. <laughs> it, it was it nearly was, ended up at the chase. It, it got a fair way down the road. That was a couple of hundred metres for sure from the elbow partway down Conrod. But, look, it was no Marcus Ambrose Canberra wheel. so It wasn't you know, a control tyre. It didn't land on a tyre bundle somewhere. Yeah. So it was good, but it wasn't that good. Um, that's a triple eight car. Uh, that actually goes way back to Jamie Winkup, 2010. That's the car that he used to finish runner-up at Bathurst in the 1-2 for Team mm. Vodafone. That, what's that, 12 years ago? So... Time's ticked along just a little bit there. So that would have been the Homebush car as well. Correct. In yeah. The, he's in the fence. He's They're in the both fence. in the fence. They're all in the fence. Yep. You've got it. That's the one. Because he, he actually debuted this car midway through 2010. He had a different car at the start of 10, So, which actually is Kate. Mm. So Kate actually went away for the second half of 10, <laughs> came back for 11 and 12 and, you know, won lots of stuff. Um, but this this was the DVS car. This was the monster car for Andrew Thompson and Scott Pye. Uh, Tony Bates bought it but never raced it. He went back to Carrera Cup, I think, from from memory. Matt Hansen, Eggleston's have had it for a fair while, 2015 onwards with a bunch of different drivers who've driven it over the course of the journey in Super 2 and then Super 3 as well. So she's been around for a fair while, that rig, actually, but it's a, it's a damn good car. And I think the plan is eventually to restore it along with the Bathurst winning 2010 car and have kind of the, the one-two matching pair, which That's would neat. be pretty cool. And, of course, Triple Eight next year's the 20th anniversary of the team, 03, 23, uh, and we're doing our, our book on the history of all of the 888 team cars. So I think when you take out the customer cars, I think they've raced somewhere about 37 different cars. So there's plenty of stuff for us to get stuck into. The pre-orders for that book we'll announce pretty soon, so not far away. But, David, yeah, that car of Kai Allen's um, has pretty good lineage. I mean, won the development series with Thompson, Scott Pye's first supercar, uh, of course, what Wink Up did in it as well. So, no, it's, it's a good good horse. Sure is. From Matthew Saint on Twitter, love the podcast. Oh, here we go. Ding. Helps keep me awake while feeding bubs at all hours of the night. Happy to help. We're here to help. Yes. Now, has any driver ever been suspended for a round or race over a racing incident? For example, footy players copping a one-match ban for a danger, dangerous tackle. Oh, definitely not in supercars era. I mean, there's been fines. There's been... Um, you say that. Mm. There is... Oh, sorry. Correct. Not in supercars era. Right. However, and it took a bit of searching through We've got to go back a bit here, don't yeah, we? Yeah, this one, this one wasn't in my grey matter. It wasn't one I thought of off the top of my head. So we had Shane, Shane Rogers, dig through the database. King of the stats. King of the stats. 1982 Adelaide International Raceway. Right. Gary Wilmington cops a black flag because his Falcon was trailing bodywork after contact with Pete McLeod early in the race. He ignores it. Oh, that'll go down well. Yeah, that, that's, what, that's one thing against him. But then he makes contact with Alan Moffat and puts Moffat off at turn one and out of the race. 
Um, the upshot of all of that is that he was excluded from the race, fined $200, and had his license suspended for a month, which meant he would have been ineligible to take part in the Surface Paradise round a week later. Whether he intended to race in that round or not, I'm not sure. But he couldn't. But so he that did satisfies. Ra- well, but the he question. raced at Surface Paradise the next year because he and Moffat collided again. Yes, and that's the one that put Moffat off the road into the tree stump and broke cracked his, his sternum and, and yes. did his hand. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that that does. I mean, it's forty years ago, but yeah. it's yeah. the only instance we can find in the database where a racing incident has led to a driver being ineligible to take part in the next race. I.e. Been- they've been benched a exactly. la Bubba Wallace Correct. of recent times. Yeah. Um, As opposed to things like when in 1978 both the Holden dealer team and Moffat, the Moffat Ford dealer team were both ex- both benched from a race weekend because of technical issues. Oh, that, that was Roller Rockers. And- Roller Rocker yep. drama, yep. yeah. So yep. both Brock and Moffat sat out the Calder round. And but their not team cars too. And their team cars oh, Harvey too. Harvey and Bond were gone as well. Correct, yeah. Because oh. the team couldn't enter the cars. Yep. But again, couldn't not have got someone else to enter them? No, yeah. I think it was looked at, but the Holden Teeler team. Yes, yeah. <laughs> or the Holden factory team, because, you know. It wasn't a factory team. It wasn't a factory team. Yeah, that's right. Um, another one that was that we found in the database is that Mark Scaife and Russell Ingle, after the whole drama at the Eastern Creek Grand Finale in 2003. Never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> anyway, that little that little tiff resulted in both of them copping three round suspensions, but it was suspended to the end of two thousand four, so they never ended up serving it. Right. As they didn't engage in any incidents of that like. So again. so that springs to mind. Next year's the twentieth anniversary. Don't. What? Of that? Yes. You know, shriek at the creek, scaphy, mm-hmm. shaking fist, all that. Yes. That's a collector's print, don't you think? They'd both happily sign it and cop a buck. They would, you well, know. Well, who, who owns the rights to the famous scape photo? Oh, it would be you, would it? Ding! Yeah. Hello! <laughs> oh, geez, the business brain. It never yeah. stops. Never stops. But there's a note here too that I want to ask you about. So we're talking the Supercars Championship, the Australian Touring Car Championship, the top tier. But in Super 2, there was an incident at Homebush a few years back that did see someone wiped out. Yeah, Brett Stewart. I can't remember off the top of my head what actually happened, yeah, but I, I remember watching the video of The video's happened. on YouTube yeah. where in the paddock after the race, he rammed into the back of, I think it was Josh Keane maybe, was unhappy with something that happened in the race. Mm. And in the paddock area, which of course was well, on the drive back to the paddock, obviously it's going, he's not on the track, he's inside the precinct, there's people around yeah. and drilled into the car. So he got suspended for 18 months. Mm. Um, and, and never returned no. to, to the series. So um, that was yeah. That's not an on, it's not an on track one, is it? It's sort of no, exactly. An, so full, on yeah. road inside track. One. Yeah, a yeah. paddock incident. Yeah. Any more? Is that it? There oh. is. Well, if we're talking about other stuff, there was of course the the time John Bauer was benched from an entire TCM round over. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, over at an incident with Marshall at Sandown. Yeah, he got in a little physical confrontation with a. I'm not sure. No, he was driving the car, wasn't he? Yeah, I can't. Uh, again, I wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. Seen he got him. benched for the weekend, and they they withdrew him, and Stephen White drove the car. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. And probably the most high profile one in recent years was when James Moffat was benched from the final race of Carrera Cup in 2018 over an incident that occurred in the paddock. Oh, the Hinda Wood. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But it, he was able to drive in the supercar race, though. Yes. But I think there was a little 
potential that that might have also been threatened at the time too. So, mm. yeah, some interesting ones that have come out of the database there. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a sometimes you do think that there's probably and I haven't really seen it on track that in supercars or in Australia even that some of the stuff that goes on on tracks. Yep, worthy of a penalty, but benching someone for a whole race or a weekend is is certainly probably too far. But I'm not even sure if that's in the possibility of penalties. But it would open it up to a you know a reserve driver making a round start or something like that along the way. But it would have to be something pretty serious to imagine the team it. scrambling to get a reserve driver in. And this is why I've said over the journey that I think teams should have to nominate a reserve driver for every round whether they're physically there or not, they need to know who they should call on should a driver be sick or get injured or who knows. Because we have seen instances of that, like with Richie Stanaway in 2019 injuring his neck and Chris Pitha having to yep. be called and up And then later notice. in that year, Dylan O'Keefe getting called up at the Gold Coast when they turfed Richie for the day. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, Cameron McConville stepped in for Jason Bride in Tassie that time. Yep. I think he was just lucky from my memory that his gear was in – was it Formula Ford's truck or someone's truck? Something, so he, yeah. He could actually cobble together enough gear to actually make it happen. So, yeah, just, you know, Formula One drivers have – teams have reserve drivers nominated. Um, uh, Nico Holgenberg got yes. a few runs in recent <laughs> yeah. years. Nick DeVries. But, uh, yeah, but I think it would be – and I've said this before, it's just more media fodder. And I remember there was a year – there was a year on the Gold Coast – Coming the circumstances, Shay Davies was on standby for Ford Performance Racing oh. um, for Mark Winterbottom. And I can't remember what the circumstances were or why or how he might not have been able to drive, whether he was ill or something was going on. There was there was something at play there. Um, and I'm sure one of our listeners might be able to send us a note to remind us. But I think it would be a good thing if teams could nominate a reserve driver. It's a bit of media fodder for the lead-up to a weekend. Everyone knows who they're going to go to if they have to go to someone. Yeah. And it stops things looking a bit hokey. Mm. You know, oh, something happens. What do we do now? Well, have a plan like, yeah. and have everyone know the plan. If such an, And that's why during the year, Fabian Coulthard was travelling with Walkinshaw and Dreddy United. Yes, to integrate himself with the team. Yes, to do some sponsor stuff. But also, but also to be there should, if one of their drivers got COVID and had to, you know, be parked in a hotel room for a couple of days, or you just never know. And, and rather than trying to travel someone from interstate and when's the next flight available and, uh, you know, at least have a plan yeah. of, of who you're going to have, even if you don't want to go to the expense of physically having someone on site. Anyway, but, but at least having the option on their services, exactly. and something to execute quickly. Exactly. Enough. Yeah, I reckon it wouldn't be a bad idea if teams just had to nominate for each round who they would go to if they needed to go to someone. Just I don't know. I know it's not just a roll big it issue. into an enduro cup driver deal. Yeah, the logical yeah. I know it's and a lot of those it. guys would have that in their deals that. Yeah. Hey, look, you know, if we need, you might get called up, and he's. I'm sure some of them have deals that say. If you do get called up, we agree that we'll pay you this much or that we'll do it this way, whatever it is. I know it's not a big issue in the grand scheme of the world, but I reckon it's something that they should um, look at doing. Next question from Saren Thatch on Facebook. Loving the podcast, guys. By the way, Saren is the guy that was at <laughs> Bathurst. You I was going to bring this just, up if okay, you weren't. Yeah. Did, did you see? He I did, the, yeah. He had the T-shirt. What was it? I'm an arsehole because Jim Richard said so. 30th 30 anniversary to yeah. him. <laughs> I don't know that Saren's older than 30, though. He's not. <laughs> He's not. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it. it was very, very good, though. Gold. Yeah. Gold. Yep, loved it. So Saren's asking, this is, This one's directed at you. Oh, okay. I can't, I can't deflect this then. No. Noons, when did 
when you did commentary on the support categories, did you prefer doing it live or via post-production? I came to prefer to do it live and I'll tell you why. Because the post-production stuff, um, and to just explain, live is commentating the race as it happens or commentating it as it happens and then it might be delayed in the way it's shown but you called it as it happened. Mm. Post-produced is when they edit it all together, you go in the week after and you do the commentary in a voiceover booth, which we did in Sydney in the days I was doing it. What happens with post-production, because it's cut together and it's hacked down and it's all jammed in tight, like it might be a half-hour show for, say, Touring Car Masters, but it's really 21 minutes without the ads or 21 and a half, whatever it is, when you take out the openers and the closers and the links to the break and the little story at the front and the, here's the points, you're just calling little slabs of races and you're trying to cram. It's like trying to pack more shit in your suitcase than you can really pack, but you're trying to jam it in. There are you're no trying packing cubes in this instance. No, you're trying to pack all the good shit in and jam it in and then zip it up and sit on it <laughs> to make it all fit. And that's kind of what this is like. So what it does is it makes you go fast. So, And that's really hurt. I find myself doing voiceovers for the pod or for at the ads that we put in the podcast or other things that we do and I'm racing and I'm speeding faster than I need to and it's because of the post-produced commentary. Yeah. That's exactly why because I did I did so much of it and the bulk majority of it was that. It was probably 60-40 post versus live on the, the weekends because in those days of 07 to 14, we didn't cover every support category every session like they do on in the Fox era. Mm. So you might do... I don't know, on a Saturday, two support races on air and you might do one or two or three on the Sunday, depending on which round it was, where you were. So you did far more post-produced, you know, every you know development series was barely ever in the telecast for many years. Mm. It was all post, Touring Car Masters, Carrera Cup. So they wouldn't just take races that you'd commentate in the live telecast and you had to redo them because they'd re-edited them down. So... I'd much prefer doing stuff live because post-produced is really taxing on your brain and it teaches you bad habits and it's kind of a good thing that they don't really, you know, when you see those packaged up hour shows now on Fox of Carrera Cup or Super 2 or whatever, they're just taking what was shown and editing it down rather than redoing it. So, yeah, I far prefer live and would shy away from doing Because there's also that silly thing where you're trying to call it as if it's live and everyone who's kind of watching knows what's going to happen, but you can't do it that way. You've so, kind so of got to. So, did you know what the result was in more often 99% than not. of the cases? Yeah, more often than not. Yeah. Because I'd watched it or either I'd called the race in the live telecast on the weekend prior, I'd physically seen the race just being at the track watching mm. it. There was very few races where I went, I have no idea what happens here because you couldn't watch every category. No. But you had enough of the gist. But you also needed to know where it was going when you were doing the voiceover and so you could pull up to when they do a little fast forward for the next bit or it was going to a results or let's look at the points or farewell, see you later next time, all that at the end. So you had to kind of know where it was going. So you did get it pre-rolled to you in a way on the day when you were recording it. So nothing was ever total shock, never seen this before, mm. genuine reaction. You were kind of faking you know, I don't know it sounds harsh, but you were you were generating a response based upon trying to appear like you didn't quite know what was going on or yeah. how you pre should rea be reacting yeah, in that situation. Yeah, which you would if it was live. Yeah. So I um I far preferred 
doing live than post-produced. That's for sure. That's for sure. Long answer, but that's sort of a bit of insight. So our last question is from Corey State. And would you believe this is not a food-related question? Is Corey okay? <laughs> I'm worried. Corey's got a shazzy question for us. Jeez, now, that's yeah. very far away from what's your favourite fruit. He's asked us, will the chassis numbers issued by supercars to Gen 3 cars continue on in numerical order from where they are now or do they start again? They will start again. Mm. I have confirmed that with supercars. So all of the car of the future chassis that became Gen 2 started with a V8 SC001 onwards. I think they're up to 105, 6, 7, mm. somewhere around there. So I, I've checked with... Um, with Mitch Timms at Supercars, who's kind of my go-to guy for all that stuff, and uh, Mitch has confirmed that, yep, it'll be, I think it's SC001 and SC002, uh, the, the Camaro and the Mustang prototype cars that are currently around. So, yep, that number will roll on from there. So I guess come Newcastle next year where we've got, what, 25 cars on the grid plus some spares, we should be up to chassis in the 30s just about yeah. by then, I would have thought. Um, if the chassis are built, then they get a number, even if they haven't quite been turned into completed race cars. Um, once they get the chassis, by the yeah, once department. the chassis has been inspected by supercars and it's reached a certain point, it gets an ID tag. And of course, the teams do give them their own numbers as well. Like Triple Eight, we'll call it chassis fifty five six seven eight nine, mm. and so on. But um, the master list kept by supercars is. Um, they've got their own numbering and, yep, that restarts as of uh, this Gen 3 era for sure. Very good. That yeah. was our last question. That's it. That's it. No That's food, all. like, follow-up bits? No, nothing. No, no addendums, no oh, tomato sauce, fridge or cupboard. So disappointed. Um, cupboard. Cupboard. Must be must I, be I don't southern mind sta- it in the fridge, but... Uh, must be a Southern States thing because very much as a Queenslander, in the fridge. Well, because it's hot. Well, yeah. It's hot up there. It's yeah. not. Man, I lived in Ballarat. Seriously, <laughs> you could put it in the cupboard and it would still be frozen. Like, <laughs> just putting it in the fridge wouldn't help at all. Yeah. Wouldn't help at all. Um, I just want to tell our listeners too, this is an important one. Next week on the podcast, we are doing a deep dive into the Adelaide 500. It's back. It's bold. It's beautiful. It's on first weekend of December. Will and I are going to pour over everything, not just the history, but look ahead to this round, talk about the tickets and how you get them, talk about the best places to watch the race from, concerts. We've got ah, to talk yes. concerts because there's a stellar lineup for a couple of nights at um, the Adelaide 500 this year as well. Plus there's been some great acts over the years, and I know for lots of people the concerts are just as big a pull than the race cars themselves. So plenty of Adelaide 500 stuff to cover off uh, next week on the podcast. We've got some cool stuff in the bank too coming up. Steve Ellery, Charlie O'Brien, Craig Denyer. We've got some good stuff to roll for the next month or so. Oh, yeah, Craig talking about the V8 Brute Series and its origins and his own history in the sport, which is fascinating in mm. itself. Grant's, Grant's dad but was very much involved in the sport as long as I can remember and yeah. probably beyond. And in lots of things that you might not have known that he was involved in well mm. before the pro car days and, and the V8 Ute stuff that he, he was probably more well-known for in more recent years and, you know, his son's kind of a bit famous too. He's um, done all right, yeah. As it's all worked out, yeah. that's, that's for sure. So that's uh, in following weeks, Adelaide 500 episode next week. Uh, every Monday, uh, sorry, every Tuesday, what am I saying? Uh, Castrol Motorsport News Podcast, AVL and Stefano. Uh, in recent times, Conor O'Brien from V8 Sleuth has dived in there to give a bit of an assist when... Super uh, sub. He super subbed when Stefano had uh, choked on his sandwich that day and lost his voice. 
Is that had, what happened? Had a decaf coffee instead of the full strength. Oh, that's what happened. That's uh, I think that's that, that's the hypothesis we're all working machine, on. He's a machine, the Stefano. Yeah. Hey, quick thank you too to our listeners who joined us at Bathurst on the Friday night uh, for a couple of quiet drinks at the Ox. We really appreciate um, you coming on by. Uh, if you listen to the Castro Motorsport News podcast, you would have got the details to come along. And I even shouted the bar. I, I bought sure drinks, did. Will, on my own card. I paid for them. Yes. What a good bloke. What a <laughs> yes. top bloke. Um, for our listeners, keep the questions rolling. We're going to do another Q&A before Christmas, um, but keep them rolling through our website, v8sleuth.com.au. There's a contact page on there that you can um, not just ask your questions for the pod, but get in touch with us about anything else that you want to know about as well. Um, and, of course, through socials. We're active. We're around Facebook, Insta, Twitter. We're always lurking around, and, and we'll throw out a shout-out to people to um, let them know when we're going to do a Q&A to fire in their, their questions. But... That was a pretty good bunch. We had a bit of everything there with penalties, chassis, footage, old Bathurst's museum. Um, that was good fun. No food. I'm disappointed. It's, a, it's lunchtime, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's lunchtime every time. Lunchtime somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, thank you, everybody, for listening in. We've got a big couple of months to come to run us through into Christmas. Um, and thank you, too, for your awesome support uh, across the Repco Bathurst 1000. We had our biggest ever week on the website our biggest ever day on race day um, for the Repco Bathurst 1000, which was absolutely out of control, and the numbers have continued to roll throughout the course of October and into November, which goes to show that more content from our end, um, more eyeballs from you guys who are checking every day to see what's new. We really appreciate your support. We've got some big plans ahead for the next 6 to 12 months, so stay with us. I hope you've enjoyed the pod. Thank you, Will, for your contribution. Well answered, well played. Thank you. And we'll do another edition of Q&A uh, at some stage before Christmas. We will sneak one in before uh, the fat jolly fellow in the red suit arrives and gives our presents all round. Um, but we will let you know when we're going to do it. Some big episodes coming up. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. We will chat to you again very soon on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. Thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.